We love you and we praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. How about that choir? Amen. Wow. Celebrating the great work of Christ, our Redeemer. Join me in Genesis chapter 22. I have wrestled with uh, the approach of what we're covering today for a host of reasons. Uh, I think one of the reasons um, is because it may cause more questions than it answers, which is not bad. Um, But sometimes when those questions come, it challenges us. And so what I want to tell you is that as questions arise from what we share today, uh, you are free to call me, uh, email me, text me, however you normally communicate. And I would love to have more conversation about it if you're stumped by something that we share today. Uh, I'd I don't think it's um, shocking in any way what we'll share, but I do think that at times when we begin to deal with certain texts of the Bible, we're challenged a little bit because of our upbringing or our exposure, what we've been taught or what we believe or what we how we process things. And so I think I'm just telling you that as a little bit of a warning coming into it, that perhaps as we speak today, you'll go, what? Um. I love that little minion in Despicable Me that does that. I think it's about the best meme anywhere um, where he just, and Joe is the one who introduced me to it. I'd seen the movie, but Joe uh, Dupree had the little meme and he just says, what? And so if in the middle of the sermon today somebody does that, just applaud him. It's good. Uh, we're, we're working through this together. Uh, So let's go to the text. Let's talk a little bit about last week, because what we're talking about today is, of course, coming right out of last week. We last week, we we gave uh, six truths. First truth was God made a promise to Abraham. The second thing was that God promised a a specific place, the promised land. That's why we call it the promised land, because God promised it. Uh, And then God, uh, God's promise included a people, which are Abraham's descendants through Isaac, and then God offered ultimate pleasure. We're going to touch on that and flesh that out today. Um, and, and we realize from the Psalms sayings like, Delight yourself in the Lord and He will give you the desires of your heart. At your right hand is the fullness of joy. Um, blessed are, Psalm 1, blessed are, Matthew 5. It is the fullness of joy and pleasure we get from God himself and all that he is to us. We talked about in the fifth truth last week, God's promise included a plan, which was this lineage that was going to come uh, from Abraham through Isaac and Jacob and then follow all the way to the Messiah. And then we talked in number six last week, God's promise had a premise. There was a foundation, which was the life, death, burial, and resurrection of Christ, our King, God in the flesh, who took our place and offered himself freely as a sacrifice for our sins. And so I'm picking up uh, today by saying, okay, now God made this promise uh, through this covenant with Abraham. And and as he made this promise and made this covenant with Abraham, uh, today we're going to talk about Abraham's participation in it. So let's just start off number one and kind of here's how today's going to go. I'll do numbers one and two and three 
Uh, pretty quickly, we'll hit number four, and then we'll kind of camp in number four, five, and six. So if you see me moving through the first few in just a couple of minutes, that doesn't mean that we're going to be at Los Portales by 1130. Okay, so hang with me. Just uh, stay the course. By the way, I think you can tell my back feels better. I'm a little more chipper, and I'm not stuck going, Hi, how are you today? So uh, thank God. So Genesis, we need to land there, and we need to start, number one, Abraham participated in the promises of God. Uh, One of our great understandings is that we're not spectators in God's work. This is a very important thing about understanding church at all. If you came today to be a spectator, you're you're already out of kilter. Uh, We are participating in something as covenant people. We're participating in God's promises. We have not received all that was promised yet, but... What was promised is taking place and we are participating and there are particular ways that we're participating. So kind of let me give you an example of how we wouldn't want to participate and and maybe help us understand covenant. Uh, Let's imagine you had a couple of friends or maybe it's your child um, and and somebody that they knew and they they were getting ready to get married. So you got this couple you got this boy and this girl. They're going to get married, and they're, they're going to make a covenant together, which is what a marriage is. Marriage is not a contract. It's a covenant. It's an oath. It's, you know, we're, we're making an oath before God, something we're going to do until death parts us. And so it's a very serious time, and so you're talking with this person. Maybe it's your child. Maybe it's, uh, maybe it's a friend or, or uh, a relative. You're having a conversation with one of the couple. And you sit down with them, and you say, okay, Son or daughter, okay, friend, who's a boyfriend, who's a girl, and you say, uh, you're about to get into this covenant thing, so uh, tell me the truth. Let's just get down to it. Why are you willing to forge this covenant with them? What, what is motivating you to make this oath with this person about until death you do part? What's, what's behind it? What's, what's the heartbeat, man? What is it? And... And they looked at you and very earnestly said, they're loaded. I mean, they are so stinking rich. And when I marry them, I'm going to be like a possessor of all this that they have. I mean, dude, have you seen her parents? Have you seen his parents, whichever, boy or girl? Have you seen, do you see what they drive Do you know what the inheritance is going to be? It's like a cash payout. When their folks kick off, it's going to be party time. Now you're... (laughs) Applaud that, okay? (laughs) We're there. What? Oh, you're participating. This is great. Okay, so all of a sudden, you're going, something is wrong. And so you start thinking, how, how, what are we going to do about this? How, how do we navigate this? Because every one of us know there's something dysfunctional there. Okay. Now let's think through Abraham and his covenant. Let's come back to the wedding. Um, God had a conversation with Abraham. Now, now, how much does God own? Okay. So that's pretty good. All right. So God and Abraham are going to make this covenant. And in Genesis 15, if you'll go there, 
We're going to read a little bit of the text, and we're going to talk about some things, and I'm probably getting ahead of myself, but I'm trying to do this time thing good, and then we just may spill over into next Sunday and talk about it some more, because it's rich and it's beautiful. And in Genesis chapter 15, it depends on what translation you're reading as to how Genesis 15, 1 through 3 reads. Now, how many of you are still good King James people? Show me. Give me a hand. Oh, I love you. I love you. Now, I'm not a King James only guy, but just because I read from the New American Standard doesn't mean I have anything against the King James. It's just we typically don't use the language that's in the King James every day. And uh, I haven't had anybody call me lately and say, how art thou today? We just don't speak like that. So translations are good. New translations are good. I love the New American Standard. Love the New Holman Christian Standard Bible. think it's wonderfully done, well translated. But translators have a job to do. They always are having to make a little bit of interpretation while they're translating. In the King James, in Genesis 15, they nail it. And my good, fantastic New American Standard loses a nuance there that separates what I was talking about in marriage. Now, let's go back to the marriage. Let's imagine you're starting all over and you ask the question. You say, why Why are you in this? Why are you taking this risk? Now, listen, a lot of people today do what's called a prenuptial agreement, which means I'll give you my body, but my, my, not my stuff. Uh, <laughs> that one always weirds me out. Um, but I have seen that folks who are in marriage for the wrong reason, things are kind of messed up. But when they're in marriage for the right reason, there's this certain thing driving them. So you're sitting there, you're having the conversation. Same person, but we're going to get a different answer this time. You say, what's in it? Why are you marrying? Why are you making this covenant? Why are you going to stand before God and everybody and swear that you will stay with them until death only separates you? Why would you do that? And they look at you and they say, because I love them. And, and the reward of this covenant is them. I get them alone as mine for the rest of my life. That's what I'm after. They are the reward of the covenant. When I pledge that oath, we become one flesh and I get them. And then back in the back, yeah, (laughs) back in the back of your mind, you're going... Praise the Lord. That's the way it ought to work. That's how covenants are. You are falling in love. And there's this glorious thing. And so when you get to Genesis 15 and you sort this out, watch what happens. Come with me, Genesis 15. I'm going to read the New American Standard first, and then I'm going to read it kind of as it has, as it's read in the King James. Okay? A little less thou's, but here we go. Chapter 15. After these things, the word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision, saying, Do not fear, Abram. I am a shield to you. Your reward shall be very great. Now, the King James doesn't read that way. It says, I am your shield and thy exceeding great reward. What's the difference? Let me read again. New American Standard. Do not fear, Abram, for I am a shield to you. Your reward shall be very great. King James. I am a shield to you and your exceeding great reward. 
The King James clarifies that what is said in the Hebrew is that the reward is God. And that's what the Hebrew says. God says, we're making a covenant, Abram, and I am the reward. Now, that's going to clarify what happens in 22. If we don't understand 15, 22 doesn't quite make as much sense. But when we understand 15 is clearly saying, Abram, I am your shield. You don't have to be scared anymore. I'm for you. I'm protecting you. And I am the reward of the covenant. What you're getting, Abraham, is me. Now, what's going to happen is that a time of testing is going to come to see if Abraham really understood that. Was Abraham in it just to get Isaac? Or was Abraham in it because God was actually better than Isaac. That's what 22 is about. It's about, and I'm getting ahead of myself, and I said, I'm going to do it. So, number one, Abraham participated in the promises. Number two, Abraham participated in the promises through God's calling. In Genesis 12, we find out that Abraham was not hunting for God. God was hunting for Abraham. And he called him. And he said, Abram. That was his name before. Abram. I want you to leave your folks and your land, and I want you to go to a place I show you. So God called him, and Abram obeyed. He responded. So we never enter God's covenant. We never participate in His promises until first, God calls us. Second, it's number three. Abram, or we can call him Abraham now, we're in 22, participated in the promises through God's covenant. God in 17 made a covenant with Abraham. He promised it in 15. He verified it in 17. And we talked last week about what that covenant meant and all of its implications. And so we've got him participating in the promises by calling. He goes by covenant. He trusts. But when we get to number four, things are a little different. I'm going to introduce to you a word that you use every now and then, but it's very good for now. It's a strong word, but I discussed with Sherry this morning, and I said, I'm afraid the word's a little too strong, and we discussed it. She said, no, it's, it's not strong, it's just right. So here we go. Number four, Abraham participated in the promises of God through God's calling. Calling. Bill, do you call when you fish? Yeah, you call when you fish. If they don't meet a certain standard, what happens? Back in the wild, I hope. Confession after church today, if you didn't do that. But uh, when you're when you're fishing, you know, if it's not a certain length, it's or it's in the little uh, the slot limit or it's not, you know, you, you call it, you throw it out. I fish with my sister and my brother-in-law out in uh, the uh, the area um, around Panama City Beach and we fish out there and they're very strict rules about all the different kind of fish you catch and they've got pictures of all of them and measurements and all of them so we catch them and we measure them and if they don't measure up we call them calling is a process of selection based on a particular standard or particular interest or a particular reason or particular love that's what calling is and so abram abraham is going to participate in God's promises through calling. Now, this is important. 
This is the heart of what I want to share with you today. When you get to Genesis chapter 22, God is going to find out something in that chapter. He's going to find out if Abram, Abraham, understood chapter 15. Because in 15, there was the potential that Abraham would interpret 15 that the reward was Isaac. So Isaac would be the prize. And so there was the possibility that Abraham would value Isaac more than who? More than God. So here comes the test. The test is to find out, Abraham, do you understand what the reward is? Is it Isaac or is it something greater than Isaac? Someone greater than Isaac, do you understand? So the testing comes to find out why Abraham wants to participate in the covenant. In other words, what God's going to do is He's going to find out before the nuptials are finalized, are you in this for the stuff? See, a lot of people don't want to go to hell. Right? Wouldn't you say a lot of people wouldn't want to go to hell? So you say, do you want to go to hell? Most folks say, well, no. All right, well, pray this prayer and you won't go to hell. Sure. But if they're just going to get out of hell free card thing for their Christianity, and they don't have this one component that we're going to talk about in a second, something's wrong. And so, this testing comes, and the testing is to melt Abraham down and find out what he's made of. That's it. And he's calling him on his great treasure, Isaac. He's a hundred years old. He's waited all of his life for this thing him and his wife, to have a baby. And they do. And he has Isaac. And now Abraham's older than that. Isaac's probably 12, 13, 14. He's considered a lad. He's big enough to carry the wood. He's not considered a a little child anymore. And so he's had him a while, and he's kind of got used to him. He loves him. In fact, he talks about that in chapter 22, verse 1. And now came about after these things that God tested Abraham. So basically what's happening is God's going to find out. Why are you in this, Abraham? Why did you sign on? Why are you participating? So, Abraham said, the Lord called to him, Abraham, and he said, here I am. And he said, take now your son, your only son. Why is he his only son and why is the other one not counted? Because he's the only son of promise. He's the only son of the wife. He's the only son of, of, of the legitimacy. And he says, take your son, your only son, whom you love. So there's no doubt that Abraham loves his son. It's not up. It's not why he's going to do this thing. He's not saying, ah, I don't care about this guy. I'm going to offer him. He loves him very much. And so we get into this, and, and God's doing a culling process with Abraham. 
He's calling. Now, God is always calling. I'm going to give you some examples in the New Testament in just a few minutes. They'll make it very clear. But God is calling. A lot of folks will say yes to the offer of the covenant for all of the wrong reasons. And a lot of folks will say yes to God's offer of salvation without any reference to God Himself. All they want is to not go to hell and to have some kind of golden streets to walk on in the afterlife. But God Himself is of no interest to them. And so God says, Abram, I'm your shield. I am your reward. And now we get to 22 and God is going to test and see if he understood 15. And so it's on. He tests him and he says, I want you to take your son to the land of Moriah in verse 2. And I want you to offer him there as a burnt offering. He's not just asked to kill him. He's asked to finish it by burning him. Set the body on fire and watch it incinerate. And in verse eight, verse 3 it says, So Abraham rose early in the morning and saddled his donkey. There is no way to know what's going through his mind. All of our things would be guesses and postulations. We don't know. But in his mind, Isaac's a dead man. And he heads up, makes a three-day journey. On the third day, verse 4, Abram, Abraham raised his eyes and saw the place from a distance. And Abraham said to his young man, and we read through it. And they get up there and Abraham raises his hand up. And he's got the knife. And Isaac's laying there. He's tied down. The cartoon was perfect. The illustration where perhaps he's tied there and, he, and he's going to do it. And God says, wait. And then God says something. Come with me to verse 11. The angel of the Lord called to him from heaven and said, Abraham, now remember the angel of the Lord is the voice of God's actually going through him. And said, Abraham, Abraham, and he said, here am I. And he said, do not stretch out your hand against the lad. Do nothing to him, for now I know that you are a fearer of God. This is the first time that this title is applied to a man in the Bible. Now, there's a mention of fear of God in this place earlier, but this is the first time it is attached to a person, and it will become the moniker, the name that will be used to explain a person of true faith for the rest of the Bible. It's applied to Abraham here, and it says, For now I know that you are one who fears God, since you have not withheld your son, your only son, from me. God said, You passed the test. Now I know why you're in this. So, let's go to number five. Abraham participated in the promises of God, uh, promises through God's calling. Number five, by trusting God above all. Abraham trusted God above everything else. And Hebrews explains that he trusted that God could even raise Isaac back from the dead if he wanted to. He trusted God above all. 
He trusted. But listen carefully. That's not the point of the text. We've already seen his trust. He trusted him when he went into chapter 12 and left. He trusted him several other times along the way. And we're told there in 15 that Abraham trusted God and he reckoned it to him as righteousness. So we're seeing that the trust is not what's at issue here. That's not the real question. Trust has already been established. Something else is at issue here. Something far greater than trust. You say, how could anything be greater than trust? Well, something really is. When Abraham raised that knife, he was making a statement. Not just of trust, but of value. Abraham's actions were a value statement. And he said, I value God as the reward above any and everything else He has given me. What He said is the one thing that God was looking for. Abraham, now I know. I know who you value. I know what you value. Because you have taken the most valuable thing in creation to you. And yet you have subjected it under your value of the Creator. And basically what's happening is that Abraham is saying, God is my reward, not Isaac. And if I just have God at the end of this journey, that's enough. And the whole point is to merge something so foreign to our thinking today. It is to merge faith and works into one entity. Because faith and works together are always a statement of value. And so he's trusting God. Number six, Abraham participated in the promises of God through God's calling by valuing God above all. That's what the test is about. It's not just trust. He's already established that. It's value. Come with me to... um, I've got to pull some notes out that I wrote in very small print. So if you see me squinting, it's because I wrote it in small print. Come with me to Matthew. To a couple of places, but I've got five minutes. And so I've got to do just a couple of texts. Uh, I want you to come to Matthew nineteen twenty one, or it's in the neighborhood of twenty one. Let's we have to back up a little bit. Let's back up to sixteen. Matthew nineteen sixteen. And behold, one came to him. Matthew nineteen sixteen. I'm sorry, I'm hustling through this. We'll come back and visit this some more next week. I, I see that I'm not going to have enough time. Teacher, what good thing shall I do that I may have Inherit eternal or obtain eternal life. So here's the deal. He trusts Jesus to give him the right answer. He came to him trusting 
Jesus to give him the right answer. So the matter of trust is established. He believed Jesus was capable and trustworthy to give him the right answer. So he comes and he's banking his whole eternity on trusting this guy's answer. And so he asked this guy. He trusts him. He calls him good teacher. He says, why are you asking me what is good? There's only one who is good. But if you wish to enter into life, keep his commandments. And he said, which one? And he goes through them in verse 20. It says, the young man said, all these things I've kept. What am I still lacking? What's he going to get down to? He's going to go beyond trust. This guy trusted Jesus enough to tell him the truth. Jesus tells him the answer. He says, oh, yeah, I'm in for that. I've, I've kept all those. And he says, OK, let's go to the thing that's under trust. And he says, verse 21, Jesus said to him, if you wish to be complete, go and sell your possessions, give to the poor and you shall have treasure in heaven and come and follow me. But when the young man heard this statement, he went away grieved. Why? Value. The whole parable is which do you value? He's already established trust. He trusts him to tell him the answer. Why does he go away sad? Because he trusts him. If he thought Jesus was an idiot, he wouldn't go away sad. He'd go away and say, that guy's an idiot. That doesn't bother me. But he goes away sad because he knows Jesus tells him the truth. But trust is not enough when value is absent. And what happens is this man's value is put into question and he values the stuff more than the stuff maker. And so, from all that we can tell, he loses his soul for all of eternity, not because of a trust issue. He trusted that Jesus was telling him the truth, but because of a value issue. And this is scary. Because it digs down to where every one of us are at the root of our soul. Because we can talk trust all day long until God comes to us and tests us and calls out the thing we value most and says, give it up. And we say... <laughs> I don't think so. That saddens me, Lord, but I don't think so. And so, now this is important because here's the danger. You're going to walk away from here saying, what, what, are you saying that salvation is by works then? Oh, no, no, no. I'm not saying that. No, no, no. I'm not. Salvation is by faith alone, but the Bible says faith alone without works is dead. And somebody ought to say, what? <laughs> yeah. And so Abraham could have stood there in chapter 15 and said, I believe you, God, and now I got this righteousness. And God said, OK, Abraham, now we're going to go down to the bottom. What do you value? And Abraham said, you can have him because I value you. And that's all Abraham was saying with that sacrifice. You can have him because I value you. You are my reward. I want to take you to a place that blends faith and works better than anything. And Lynn, I might not need that last slide at the end. I'll, I'll tell you in a second. Um, because I may just have to pick that up next week. 
Come with me to the book of the Revelation, to one of the most interesting passages. You know, you read through books of the Bible and you read through the Bible and you run into things. And then finally, you run into something and all of a sudden, boom, all of it begins to take, you know, shape with the whole Bible. And and so we ran into this in our study in Revelation on Wednesday nights. So I want you to come to Revelation 19.7. We're going to pick up there. We're going to look at this this mixture of God... God's calling, God's choosing, God's election, God's saving, God's uh, justifying. And we're going to look at our responsibility to clothe ourselves with good works that demonstrate who we value or what we value the most. And and, and there's no place in the Bible as clear as this. And I'm going to take you to a, a parable after it to use the word calling in a way that applies directly to the scriptures in front of us. So, 19.7, let us rejoice and be glad and give glory to him. Kevin, this is pulled right out from the verse you quoted today. It's a reflection on Psalms. Let us rejoice and be glad and give glory to him for the marriage of the lamb has come and his bride, notice this, has made herself ready. <gasps> Who's the bride? The church. Now, what has she done? She's made who ready? Herself. Evidently, there's some good works in that. So how does that work? Well, the next verse tells us. Verse 8, and it was given to her. Now, every time in the book of the Revelation, this is called a divine act. That it was given in the book of the Revelation, every time is a divine act. It is where God does something that no one else can do. It was given to her. So the capability for the church to clothe herself in the white robes of righteousness is an act of God. It is his calling and choosing and electing. It is his saving. It is his work. It is the work of the Holy Spirit entering us. It is that work of God. But there's a response. So look what happens. And it was given to her to clothe herself in fine linen, bright and clean. For the fine linen is the righteous acts of the saints. So when Jesus is... Righteousness is put into us by God's act of justification. Those acts come out of us in acts of righteousness where we clothe ourselves in white by showing His ultimate value by obeying Him in good works. Now, where does culling come in from that? I was hoping that you would ask that because that's where we're going to end. Come to Matthew 22 and we'll close there. And we've come to the very end and I think we can finish in just another moment. Matthew 22. Powerful, powerful text. So let me read it and then let's look at the calling. Jesus answered and spoke to them again in parables saying, The kingdom of heaven may be compared to a king who gave a wedding for his son, a feast. And he sent out his slaves to call those who had been invited to the feast, and they were unwilling to come. And he sent out other slaves, saying, Tell those who've been invited, Behold, I've prepared my dinner. My oxen and my fatted livestock are all butchered, and everything is ready. Come to the wedding feast. And they paid no attention, but went their own way. One to his farm, another to his business, and the rest seized his slaves and mistreated them and killed them. But the king was enraged and sent his armies and destroyed those murderers and set their city on fire. Then he said to his slaves, The wedding is ready. But those who were invited were not worthy. Go, therefore, to the main highways, and as many as you find there, invite to the wedding feast. And those slaves went out into the streets and gathered together all they found, both evil and good, and the wedding hall was filled with dinner guests. 
But when the king came in to look over the dinner guests, he saw there a man who was not dressed in wedding clothes. Here comes the calling. Notice in Revelation, it says it was given to them to clothe themselves in fine white linen, the good works of the saints. So to know that God has truly saved you is to demonstrate your value of Him by the good works that clothe you in the fine linen of the righteousness that is inside you being shown on the outside of you. And Jesus looks and He says, wait a minute, there's a guy who doesn't have on the clothes. He was invited. He was called. He was even brought in. But when the king came in to look over the dinner guests, he saw there a man not dressed in wedding clothes, and he said to him, Friend, how did you come in here without wedding clothes? And the man was speechless. And the king said to the servant, Bind him hand and foot and cast him into the outer darkness. In that place there shall be weeping and gnashing of teeth. For many are called, but few are chosen. What is the point here? Well, sometime along the way, when that man was invited, there was some kind of time of testing. And when his time of testing came, somehow it was revealed that he wanted nothing more than the party. He cared not for the king or the son. He just wanted dinner. And resultantly, he did nothing to make himself ready for the occasion. And Jesus said, why were you not ready for the occasion? And the man was speechless. And he called him. He threw him out. Why? He was called. He was invited it looked like he came. He, he answered the invitation. Maybe he was a picture of a guy or a gal who walked down the aisle in a church or signed a card or raised their hand or went forward at a revival. But their interest was not in God. It was not in the King. It was not in the Son. It was in just don't leave me out. I don't want to go to hell. I'd like a nice heavenly place for my eternity. And God called him out. And He called him out. Somewhere along the way in your life's journey, God is going to test you. And He is going to find out. Maybe no one else will ever know. But you... And God will know why you're in this. And if you're not in it because you value Him above everything else, you're in trouble. God has not called us to like Him. The great command is not 
Obey the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, and strength. It's not trust the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, and strength. It is love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And the capacity to love Him, go back to that Revelation passage, it was given to them to clothe themselves. It is a work of the Holy Spirit. It's not your work that saves you. It is God's work that saves you. But it is your work that evidences that the Holy Spirit is living in you and did save you. So I want to ask you to bow with me as we close. And I want to give you the the clearest challenge and the greatest joy that I possibly can. When God called Abraham to offer up Isaac, He asked him to, to do something that communicated love. And God would turn around later and copy this to say something to you. Just as Abraham said something about his love to God, God is saying something about His love to you. That God so loved the world that He gave His one and only Son whom He loves. So that if anyone believes in Him, He would not perish, but have everlasting life. God loves you. And He is offering you a covenant, but it's not a covenant for you to sign up and get goodies. It's a covenant that you receive because the promise is God Himself. All that makes heaven glorious is not gold or pearls or crystal springs or trees of life. No. All that makes heaven good is God! That's what He's offering you today. That the work of Jesus is to bring you to God so that God is your reward. And you may be in the middle of an Abraham moment in your life. God may be calling you to give something up. may have called and you may have failed before, but I love this about God. He just keeps retesting us. Sometimes I hate it. And eventually I love it. Because I've failed some of those tests, haven't you? blown it. I've set up little idols in my heart. But God loves us enough to keep making us retake the test. And eventually we get down to what we really are. And you may be here today and this may be the realization you made today. The thing I lack is loving God. Would you just this morning respond to Him in love? You know the beauty of Christ has done. Jesus has paid it all. He has sacrificed Himself. He has loved you to the uttermost. And what He's asking you today is to trust and value Him. And when trust and value come together, it is the two main ingredients of something called love. When it's in relation to God, it is the way we love Him. We trust Him. He's the only one worthy of our ultimate trust and our ultimate value. And so, if He has disturbed your heart today, would you talk to Him? Would you come to Him? Would you trust Him? So, Pastor Bart, how do I do that? Pray with me. Even this moment, pray with me. 
God, I see. You're the one I'm to love, to value, to trust. And that's what I want to do today. However, whatever, whenever you call me, whatever you ask of me, I'm like Abraham today. Here's my Isaac. I trust you and I value you. I believe this good gospel that you sent your son and I receive him. Save me, forgive me. I trust you. I value you. I love you. Oh, sinner, listen. Just as any one of us ever comes to Christ, you come as a sinner. You never get over that sinfulness. But oh, how he changes your heart. And you won't get over that sinfulness until the day God moves you are. Would you stand? Would you respond? To him?